0: Good morning. My name is Phil Admiral and I'm an elder here at Grace Covenant Church and I have the honor this morning to bring God's word to you. Uh, As Isaiah 55 says, right, the word of God that goes forth will not return empty but will accomplish the purposes for which God has designed it to accomplish and I pray for that to happen this morning. I wanted just to lead off quickly by highlighting that this is Missions Month at Grace Covenant Church. So what that means is that we do like to highlight the mission organizations that we support. And I know a lot of people are new here, but we support two families: the Blairs and the Antwhistles. The Blairs are over in Macedonia. They were here last September. And They are ministering out there uh, in the Balkans, and we just pray for them as they continue to kind of lead in an area where they really can't say that they're there for Christian proselytization. They're not there for evangelism. They have kind of their own NGO set up, and they have to kind of minister, otherwise the government will kick them out. And then the Ant another family that we support, and we hope to have them here in December. They are now in Florida. And they are kind of transitioning to more of a South America role with Steve, and their kids are now in college. So that's a family that we support, too. They've spent most of their missionary career in Africa and have quite the stories, if you ever want to hear, kind of where the Lord has led them and brought them uh, to this point. We support Word Indeed, which was here last week, an organization based out of Grand Rapids, Michigan, and they have an office in Canada. And they really do a lot of humanitarian relief and a lot of work in Central and uh, South America bringing the word there. Covenant Baptist Theological Seminary, which is a seminary we support that is based up in Kentucky area. And he, Dr. Sam Waldron, is the president. He will be here next week to explain a bit more of what Covenant Baptist Theological Seminary is, and he'll bring the word. And then To Every Tribe, which is an organization in South Texas, right on the border with Mexico, they raise up missionaries to send out to all unreached areas Uh, and really a a beautiful ministry that's equipping missionaries to go out to places that have maybe not heard the gospel. And then a lot of you know Ralph and Maureen Hall. So they are ministering in Gunnison, Colorado. That's a church plan out there, and Ralph and Maureen were members here, and three years ago or so, they went to Gunnison, Colorado for a church there that's called Grace Covenant in Gunnison. So those are the missionary families we support Uh, Just want to highlight that in this month of September. We take missions really seriously here. We feel like God has called out his church and to raise up people to be sent out to the world to preach the gospel to the nations. So this morning I want to talk about in this uh, missions month as we've been talking about what is the mission of the church. What is the mission of the church? I want to talk about fellowship and I want to highlight that for like one of the ways that the Lord has equipped the body at Grace Covenant here, to be raised up to accomplish the mission for which God has called this church to do, which is the Great Commission, right? Mission, commission, the Great Commission, the verb being to be sent out to make disciples of all nations. So I want to start by reading from Acts 2, 40, through, uh, 40 to 47. I've got Acts 4 listed there, which I'll refer to in the message, but I want to read this morning, Acts 2, 40 to 47, if you turn in your Bibles, if you want to follow along, Acts 2:40 to 47. And with many other words, he Peter bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, "Save yourselves from this crooked generation." So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about three thousand souls. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number, day by day, those who were being saved. It's a beautiful passage. Beautiful passage that can lead us into this topic of fellowship that makes a difference. So let me start by referring back to our former home in Michigan. We had a home that had a natural pond in the backyard and tons of Canada geese. And the Canada geese were a nuisance in our yard and could be downright terrifying to our kids until we brought home a beautiful German shepherd puppy. That solved the problem. As annoying as these geese were, they were pretty fascinating birds, as I'm sure a lot of you know, right? As they fly, they fly in that V formation. As each bird flaps its wing, it creates an uplift for the bird behind it. So that way the whole flock can fly much longer and farther than if each goose flew alone. When the lead goose gets tired it actually rotates to the back of the formation and another goose will then take point and therefore take the brunt of the wind. That's how they work together. Have you ever wondered why geese honk? They honk because it's to encourage the geese in front to keep up their speed and to keep going. It's an encouragement and it also is directional. It's telling them where to go. Honking is an important part of geese teamwork and communication that keeps the flock together. And when a goose gets injured or sick, two other geese will fly down with it and stay with it to protect him until he either dies or is able to fly again. Why am I highlighting geese? Well, that's a really important and remarkable example, I think, for us as a church as to how we operate and how the church functions. The Bible says many things about the church and what it should be like. And this morning, I want to focus on one really particular aspect of that, and that is the fellowship of the church. A church is, and a church should be, a fellowship of believers. Together, believers strengthened by the grace of God and the fellowship believers can go out and make disciples of all nations the fellowship of, of believers is both an important and blessed characteristic of the church listen to this paragraph from a one denomination's book of church order the work of the church in fellowship with and obedience to christ is divine worship mutual m- mutual edification and gospel witness the means appointed by Christ through which the church does this work include the confession of the name of Christ before men, the exercise of fellowship in encouraging one another, the reading, teaching, and preaching of the word of God, praying, singing, fasting, administering baptism in the Lord's Supper, collecting and distributing offerings, showing mercy, exercising discipline, And blessing the people. The exercise of fellowship in encouraging one another. The work of the church is to worship, edify each other, and proclaim the gospel. How? Through the means Christ has given us. And what are those means? Preaching, singing, praying, the sacraments, and among others, being in fellowship with each other that encourages us. And all the more as the day draws near. Well, let me start by asking, what is fellowship? You've no doubt heard that word a lot and probably mostly in the church context or even in the church itself, right? It's probably an overused word to some degree. Churches often have rooms they call fellowship rooms or fellowship halls like we do here at Grace Covenant Church. Some churches actually even have the name fellowship in their name. There's a church in Weatherford called New Life Fellowship near Weatherford College. And groups in the church use the name a lot, like men's fellowship group or women's fellowship group. And sometimes when we make an announcement over the pulpit or we have in our bulletin, we'll say, hey, stay after church for a time of fellowship. But what is it? I like this definition. Somebody said it rather cleverly. Fellowship is two fellows in the same ship. There's actually some truth to that, right? Right? One of the early symbols of the Christian church in the first century after Christ was of a ship with a mast in the shape of a cross sailing over troubled waters. Early Christians regarded the Christian church as a ship which carries God's people through the storms of life. And where did they get this idea? Well, you all remember the story in the Gospels, right? Where Jesus was on a ship once with his disciples on the Sea of Galilee and he calmed the storm with this command, peace, be still. It's actually a beautiful picture of fellowship, isn't it? Because all of us as Christians are in the same boat as we voyage over life's sea with Jesus at the helm as our captain. We're not, each one of us, floating in our own little canoes to the heavenly shore. We're traveling in one ship together. We're a fellowship. Fellowship is actually translated from the word koinonia in the New Testament, meaning having a share in something or sharing with someone in something. For example, in 2 Corinthians 8, verse 4, we read that the church begged Paul for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. They wanted to share in the financial support of the poor and needy in Jerusalem. Koinonia is used some 20 times in the New Testament. The root word koinos means common. As one commentator states, it expresses what we share in together and what we share out together. We share in the Trinitarian God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and we share out as believers when we're together, giving as well as receiving. In our text, we read a really wonderful example of Christian koinonia, or fellowship in Acts, which we want to look at more closely this morning. It's the example of the Christian church in Jerusalem right after the outpouring of the Holy Spirit on Pentecost. You may remember what amazing results the coming of the Holy Spirit had produced in Jerusalem. Peter preached this Holy Spirit-inspired message, calling people to repentance and faith in God. And the result, it says in our passage, was that around three thousand souls were saved. The body of Christ in Jerusalem multiplied 26 times that day, from 120 to 3,120. That was the beginning of the New Testament church, at least as an institution. And why would I say that? Because right after the conversion, we read in Acts 2.42, they devoted themselves to to the apostles teaching and to the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and the prayers. In other words they immediately felt a need to be together and worshiping together and having fellowship with one another. That's the first point I want to stress this morning regards to fellowship that makes a difference. It's a fellowship we need. It's a fellowship we need. Fellowship that makes a difference is a fellowship that's necessary. It arises out of our needs as Christians and as human beings made in the image of God. God did not create human beings to be independent, isolated individuals without any relationship to each other. When God created Adam, he also made Eve to be his wife. And from them came a family and then the entire human race. God created us as social beings, as persons who need one another and live and work together. God did not make us to be Robinson Crusoes living alone on an island. Instead, he made us to have fellowship with one another, even if you're an introvert. And if that's true of us as human beings, it's certainly true of us as Christians. We're not all disconnected individual believers who each go our separate way. No, we're a body. Remember 1 Corinthians 12? We are the body of Christ. Quote, as it is, there are many parts, yet one body. Verse 20. Jesus did not die for mere individual souls, he died for a people, he died for a church, the church. He gave his life to redeem a body of believers who are one in him and constitute one fellowship of saints. In Revelation 5:9 we read that the four living creatures and 24 elders sang a new song saying, "Worthy are you to take the scroll and open its seals, for you were slain and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people" And nation. If there's one thing clear from the New Testament, it's that Jesus has established a community in this world to be his unique people. A community of believers, of persons united by a common faith and love and service to God. And that community, folks, is the church. And therefore, I get uncomfortable when somebody says, I can be a Christian, but I don't have to belong to a church. Or, I can be a Christian by myself, in my home. Or, I don't really need the church because I can exist as a solo Christian. That's not how the New Testament demonstrates the Christian church it talks about every person being connected every believer in the New Testament being connected to a body or a church all the letters Paul wrote were to churches or pastors of churches or persons who belong to a church and in 1 Corinthians 12 which I referenced Paul writes we are all members of the body of Christ and the hand can't say to the foot I don't need you So how can anybody say, I don't need to be a part of the church? I think fellowship is necessary for all believers. Let me give you two reasons for that. And afterwards, please improve on the sermon and add your your additional reasons. First of all, I think it's necessary to show our love for fellow Christians. That was so true of the Jerusalem church. Everything we read about them demonstrated their love for one another. Remember the song they shall know we are Christians by our love by our love for Christ and our love for each other. Jesus in fact gave us this command in John 15:12 This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Second reason, I think fellowship is necessary <clears throat> because it's for our spiritual growth. Do you ever wonder what would have happened to that early church in Jerusalem if 3,000 souls had become converted that day and all went out and did their own thing? I personally believe that many of them would have soon faded and their faith would have died out as a mere temporary fling. Like the parable of the sower shows us, seed that fell on rocky soil that sprang up quickly but then withered when the sun rose and scorched it. I don't think those new converts would have become mature in their faith and life without Christian fellowship. Christian faith and spiritual life can never wax strong in complete isolation. Have you heard the illustration of the burning coals? If you take one single coal and set it far off, it will cool in a matter of minutes. That coal may keep burning and glowing for a few minutes, but then the fire goes out and the coal goes dark. It has to remain in contact with other coals in order to keep burning well. And I think that's how it is for us Christians. We need the fellowship with other Christians so that we can remain passionate and committed to our faith and our spiritual life. Without fellowship, our devotion would soon flicker out. Second point, let me address the basis for this fellowship that we need and the fellowship that makes a difference. On what must our Christian fellowship be founded or based upon? What do we build it on? Christian fellowship, the type that really makes a difference, must be based on a common faith and love we have for Christ and the gospel. Christian fellowship that really makes a difference must be based on a common faith and love we have for Christ and the gospel. Or let me put it differently. We first must have fellowship with Christ and be committed to the word before we can experience fellowship as Christians. We must first have fellowship with Christ. As 1 John 1.3 puts it, we proclaim to you, says John, what we have seen and heard so that you may also have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and his Son, Jesus Christ. John is writing about the gospel, the good news, all he had seen and heard as a disciple of Jesus. And then he says, this is the gospel we want to proclaim to you. Why? So you can have fellowship with us. How? By believing in the same gospel about the same God and Father, and the same Son, Jesus Christ, with whom we have fellowship. You see, when we have fellowship with the Father and the Son, when we're true believers, you're united heart and soul with other believers. Then you have fellowship with them. But first comes the vertical relationship. Then, comes the horizontal relationship vertical fellowship with God and Christ horizontal fellowship with other believers i implore any of you this morning that if you don't have that vertical relationship with God to not let any more time slip away as in acts 2 when the crowd heard the apostles it says they were cut to the heart Convicted of their sin, they were conscience stricken. And they asked, what do we do? Repent, be baptized, and Christ will forgive your sins. For the promise is for you, your children, and for all those who far off. Everyone whom the Lord, our God, will call to himself. Notice from Acts 2 that the vertical relationship came first, and then the horizontal relationships came second. Our passage states that the first thing said about the early Jerusalem church is that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. What was that teaching? It was the same thing John talked about. All they had heard and seen about Christ. The apostles' teaching was about salvation, that Christ came to save sinners through his life, death, and resurrection. They taught Christ and Christ crucified. And when Christians share that gospel in common, believing it, and remaining true to it, then we can have true Christian fellowship. For then we share salvation. Then we share Christ. And that makes all the difference. <clears throat> I'm really sorry to say this, folks, but fellowship is not primarily a social thing. You can belong to all the organizations you want to and have a social fellowship with people. But it's not the deepest fellowship we need and crave as Christians. You can have friends and business associates and workout buddies and classmates and we are supposed to be friendly to everyone but our deepest friendships are going to be those who are knowing and in relationship with Christ, love Christ, and believe in Christ and his word. Then we have true Christian fellowship. That actually holds true with our relationship with other churches. I know many of us have worshiped in a lot of different denominations and churches, and some believe and proclaim Christ and Christ crucified. Of course, we might not agree with everything the church does, but they preach from God's word. They believe the Bible to be inspired, and they believe Christ is the only Savior of the world. But that's unfortunately not the case with every church. There are churches today who don't believe in the inspired word of God or deny that Christ is the only way of salvation. We cannot feel one or united with those churches true Christian fellowship is based on a common love for Christ and a common commitment to his word. Then we can have that same experience the early Christians had when they met together. In Acts 4.32, it describes that all the believers were one in heart and mind. And when that's true, That fellowship will show itself or manifest itself in concrete expressions. That's what I want to hit for point three this morning. We've seen that we need fellowship. We know that its basis is a common faith in Christ and his word. So how does that get manifested? How does that get demonstrated? Let me start with that marvelous example that we have in the passages we read from the book of Acts about the early church. I admit there's some holy jealousy when I think about that early church right after Pentecost. What a wonderful church that would have been to be a part of. They were so close. And sometimes I wonder, is that possible in today's day and age? Could we still experience something of what they experienced? Or is that not realistic? It's such a different time in which we live. People are so involved in their personal pursuits and professions so busy with commitments and work, and sadly so few of us interested in being active in a local church. For those of us older, I can't believe I put myself in that group now, and who grew up in a church even 30 years or so ago, the church was a huge part of daily and weekly life. Activities revolved around the church, and we can't turn back the clock. But one thing must happen, remain the same. We must still be a strong fellowship as they were. And how can we make sure we remain that? Well, let's read again from Acts 2, that early church. Their fellowship was expressed first in fervent worship. That's what verse 42 of Acts 2 says. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching And to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. This is talking about the worship of that early church. They didn't have church buildings back then. When they met together for worship, it was in their homes or in the temple courts. And that's where they were taught the truths by the apostles. That's where they learned together what the gospel was. And that's where they broke bread. That's a reference to the Lord's Supper. They celebrated that together. And that's where they prayed together. And when you and I worship here on a Sunday morning, we also have fellowship with Jesus and with each other. We worship to praise and glorify God. But we do it as a body of believers. We do it together. You've heard that word corporate. We do it corporately. We do it together as a body of Christ. This is where we meet christ and hear his word this is where we meet one another after we've been apart for a week this is where we come together from our various walks of life and places of work and school what a beautiful community this is to come to on a sunday morning where we're united in christ and his atoning work and we come together for worship We fellowship together around that gospel which provides us with the comfort, instruction, and direction we need for the new week. Please, please always prize Sunday mornings and the time we can be here together worshiping the Lord. And feel free to stay after church and linger for a while. Have some fellowship. Talk with those you haven't seen in a while. Have lunch together. Discuss the sermon. Talk about your week. Encourage one another. Ask questions. Listen. Share your abundances. There's a lot going on in the lives of people in our church. Maybe some of you have traditions after church on Sunday. You go to a family member's house for coffee or lunch. That's great. That's fellowship too. But if you're able, stay after church for a while or come before, before church and talk. I know it's challenging for us sometimes to start our worship service on Sunday mornings, but it's really special to see people catching up and talking before church about what's going on in their lives. Churches should not be cliques. If we're going to remain a close-knit church where the love of Christ flows throughout the body, we have to know one another and speak to one another and show genuine friendliness. And no visitor should leave here without a personal and warm welcome from us. Friendliness is important. Jesus once said to his disciples, I have not called you servants, but I have called you friends. We're his friends, and that makes all of us Christian friends. Folks, this is not a side tangent. This is all a part of fellowship. It's expressed first as we worship together and meet here together, and then as well as in various small groups throughout the week. The early church expressed their fellowship by meeting together, devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching, that is, by hearing God's word and by the breaking of bread, which, as I said earlier, is the Lord's Supper. We sometimes refer to the Lord's Supper as communion. Communion is just another word for fellowship. Because when we eat the bread and drink the cup of the sacrament, we are having fellowship with our Savior, the living bread. And we're having fellowship with one another. Because we all partake of that one bread. I believe the early church celebrated the Lord's Supper as a part of a larger meal, where there was fellowship happening as they met in their homes those early days. And they had fellowship through prayer, praying together as a church, the most intimate communion possible with our Heavenly Father, prayer. All these things were expressions of the church's fellowship. But then besides worship, I do want to highlight one other concrete way to express fellowship. I think it's to show common concern One another. I'm not sure there's a greater example of that than the early church in Jerusalem. Acts 4:32 says, "All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of his possessions was his own, but they shared everything they had." That's a pretty wonderful demonstration of true fellowship. And no, I don't believe we are obligated to sell everything we have and share everything in common. That wasn't even required in the early church. Remember Ananias and Sapphira who lied about giving away their money from selling a piece of property to the church where they had kept some of it for themselves. And Peter told them they didn't have to give all the proceeds from the land, their land to the church if they didn't want to. It was that they lied about it and yet these early christians showed a tremendous amount of concern for one another they shared their blessings as well as their burdens they shared their joys as well as their sorrows if one of our members have a need or a problem we shouldn't say that's his problem or that's her problem it's our problem we're one in Christ. And how important that is for us to remember today. We need to be concerned for one another. We need to stand by each other in the hard times as well as the good times. We need to share of our abundance with those who have little and are in need. And even those who cannot do much, even those confined to their homes or physically limited, can still pray for their fellow church members and in that way share the blessings and burdens of Christ's body. Dietrich Bonhoeffer once wrote, If we do not give thanks daily for the Christian fellowship in which we have been placed, even where there is no great experience, no discoverable riches, but much weakness, small faith and difficulty, if on the contrary we only keep complaining to God that everything is so paltry and petty, so far from what we expected, then we hinder God from letting our fellowship grow according to the measure and riches that are there for us all in Christ Jesus. We won't be perfect on earth. No family on earth is perfect. But let it be as close as possible to that fellowship we will one day share with Christ and his church in heaven. I pray that that kind of fellowship is found here at Grace Covenant Church. One that truly makes a difference. A spirit-filled church is a loving, caring, sharing church. And I pray that each one of us will do his or her part to make this family of God one in faith, one in doctrine, and one in charity. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come to you just praying for the spirit to enliven our hearts and minds and make us one unified in Christ as believers who have been called out of darkness to light may this church just be a church of true unity in believing in the atoning work of Christ and caring for each other in true fellowship may we share what we have in abundance with each other be concerned for one another talk to one another, call one another, visit one another. Father God, may we just be a church that shows that we have true fellowship because you have united us in Christ, and that Christ has ransomed a people for himself. We thank you for the time that we can spend together this morning and worship to you. We pray too, Father, for the singing and for the celebration of the Lord's Supper. May we be re- reminded once again of your work, the broken body and the shed blood for the forgiveness of our sins. We pray all this in Jesus' precious name. Amen.